Okay, Ryan, well, thank you so much for joining me. I, I want to start this conversation off from a place of, um, you know, what is going obsolete? And one of the first things I, it's really been on my mind, especially because a black belt, whose name I won't share, told me this, and it's stuck with me for a long time, which is uh, mount is something of a lost art. And that's not to say that mount is going away. We see Demi and Maya use it all the time. It's also not to say that all black belts have the same opinion about everything. They certainly do not. But I wonder, A, what you feel about that statement, and if you do agree, why you think that's happening. Uh, well, first off, Luke, thanks for having me on the show, man. I really appreciate it. And in addition to that, I guess I would say uh, I don't disagree with, with the statement that unnamed black belt made. Um, you know, I think that mount has been a lost art for a long time. You know, competitive jiu-jitsu, you know, which is what I was involved in prior to getting into MMA, uh, it was something that only a few people, you know, really, really, really had or still have a handle on. And that was something that, that was a that it being a lost art uh, was was almost a a common sentiment. You know, even even you know six, eight, ten years back, um, and. Uh, you know, as the positions have evolved and as the rules have changed, you know, the thing behaviors change. You know, speaking personally, I have a great deal of interest in, you know, how rule structures and incentive structures affect behavior. And when I see, you know, Roger Gracie, obviously, is a master of the mounted position. You look at your Hicks and Gracie, obviously, you know, Damian Maya in, um, in mixed martial arts, and, and he's a very strong, you know, incredibly strong positional grappler. You know, there are guys that, that have these, uh, you know, this, this position really dialed in. BJ Penn is another one, um, you know, who was very successful in both jiu-jitsu and in mixed martial arts. But, uh, you know, I think that it's been going away for some period of time and I don't envision it making a comeback. Honestly, you know, it's incredibly valuable and, and the mounted position is something that, that I feel is one of my strongest spots. I think I've spent a significant amount of time attempting to understand from talking to people that are good at it and, and, uh, also, um, you know, trying to watch the, the best people in the world at the Roger Gracie's, the Hicks and Gracie's, but even, you know, in the process of learning, uh, you know, I, I had a difficult time tracking down information and insight because, even during, even at a high level in jiu-jitsu, it's just not a very common position. Um, actually, there's one guy that was that was phenomenal at the mount of position, an American grappler that I don't know that he competes very much anymore, but he's just, you know very 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 good. A guy named Zach Maxwell, and he came from kind of the Salah Hibero, Shanji Hibero lineage, but was a, an excellent mount finisher, kind of like Audrey Gracie. But that's pretty uncommon, and I see it going even further in that direction, particularly with the popularity of kind of submission only rule sets. Um, you know, it, it's you're not incentivized to build that skill because in order if you have that skill already at a high level you can use it but there are easier paths to victory and uh people will generally speaking take those paths so we see the guard you know in in you know competitive jiu-jitsu growing and growing and growing it's so much better and so much more diverse and dangerous than it was in the late 90s it's it or you know or mid 2000s not even funny but uh other things go away because as that as that has occurred, other other things have fallen by the wayside, and, and the mounted position is absolutely one of them. Side control as well. The dominating positions in general are kind of are, are disappearing, and I, I really hope that that is not a trend that continues long term. Okay, let's stick to the mount for just a second. Now, obviously, Demi and Maya, and let's let's sort of uh, focus on mixed martial arts here for the present. Okay, he's Demi and Maya. Like, uh, okay, fair enough. He is very unlike every other grappler, including other black belts. But at the same time, it feels to me like one of his core insights is that, okay, while everyone else is not building this skill, I still am. And therefore, there is a now a skills gap. It's almost like by going backwards, he goes forwards. Why can't, I mean, okay, I'm not saying everyone else can have a mount like Demian's, but why can't that fundamental insight be replicable at scale? Uh, I believe that it is replicable on a certain level. Um, 
and and I think and I couldn't agree with you more. I think that you, you Damien, you know, your kind of assessment of, of where Damien's going and, and what he's doing is is spot on because not only does he have that skill developed to a razor's edge, it's also he's not even competing against people that kind of sort of have it or even used to having it. So when uh, you know when Damien Maya mounts you for the first time it's not like being mounted by somebody else. It, he's, you know, dealt with, you know, great high levels of opposition um, and they haven't. So not only are you dealing with the fact that he's very good at it, it's the first time you're experiencing it at this level. It's like fighting a, a wonder boy in striking. You're like, Oh, okay, well I've been in there with other good strikers. You're like, yeah, but not quite like this guy. And uh, it, it's, it's funny. I believe these things to be replicable, but you have to go out and, and find the, the sources of information. And, uh, you know, mixed martial arts is an interesting thing. It's like every other, you know, human endeavor in the universe, I guess. Um, it, it's subject to the same prejudices and traditions and whatnot um, that are everywhere. And I mean, I, I looked, I pretty much speaking personally, try to build my entire game into the holes in, in what I believe to be the holes in people's thought processes. But everyone initially think about, you know, five, 10 years back, we've all been around the game a while. It was, oh, we know how to fight. It's wrestling and Muay Thai. Initially, it was jiu-jitsu. And then people realized, oh, no, no, it's not jiu-jitsu. It's, it's wrestling and then anti-jiu-jitsu anti and Muay Thai. And now people are saying, oh, karate's good all of a sudden. And, you know, if you, if you or I had told people 10 years ago that karate was good, we'd have been laughed out of the room. And, you know, now we're, we've been proven to be vindicated. But uh, there's, there's skill sets that people become obsessed with. And then just like in any sport, they're, they're cyclical. Um, it, it, and again, I, I hate to bring it back to competitive jiu-jitsu, but I look at all sorts of things that became very, very popular that are now no longer so. And one or two guys or girls are still doing it, and they're killing people. And everybody's on to the new big thing. And I'm sure you know that MMA is just no different. So I, I think that people could go through the challenges of learning how to control from the mount. But the reality is, is that uh, they'd have to go through jiu-jitsu in order to learn that skill at a high level because the classical jiu-jitsu battle is guard versus pass. And even now, that's disappearing. When you go sub-only, it's no longer guard versus pass because the amount of investment, time, and energy that it takes to, one, develop that skill, and two, use it in the match is uh, is disproportionate when you consider the return on investment you know that you can get from doing something like a footlock. But isn't like some of the, maybe what underscores the value of sub-only is that, okay, we put this premium on this guard versus pass challenge but it so turns out that like to really put someone away maybe guard versus pass doesn't matter so much um to a certain extent i I think that you know when you start adding punches it matters a lot uh in my opinion it's very significant um you know uh i don't feel any threat almost ever from anyone when i'm on the bottom in mma um, their their past position their past understanding is not strong enough generally speaking to get in a position where they can launch a sustained attack in a way that's going to be very very damaging. Not saying it couldn't occur, but it's going to be difficult. It's like footwork in in striking. Um, but uh, one of the things that we have to note about a lot of the sub only matches, not all the sub only matches, of course, because you get some very very high level people, is it's it's B level grapplers competing competing against other B level grapplers or a B level grappler competing against uh, you know a you know, an A-level grappler. Um, and you don't see really, really, truly high-level positional dominance until you get to the A-plus level of, of control because their mistakes are made, strategic mistakes, technical mistakes, tactical mistakes. And, uh, you know, I think that sub-only has taught us some really, really valuable lessons and pointing out some holes that, that always existed, obviously, but are now being highlighted. But we have to be, we have to guard against the possibility of regressing and becoming just as dogmatic in our new view that this is the thing 
um, you know, as, as we were initially, I mean, look how long it took, you know, frankly, most of the, the Gracie jujitsu types, you know, to become traditional martial artists, they were the leading cutting edge of, Hey, this is the new stuff. You guys need to learn it. And now they're obsessed with what their path was and saying this and that's not the real jujitsu. So I, I think we, it's just more of a mentality than anything else. Um, that's either growth oriented or not. Uh, what else is going away in jujitsu as it relates to, uh, MMA, like what, we, what we're able to effectively transport. Um, I think that people's wrestling is, you know, certain people it's better than ever, but in a lot of cases it's worse than ever. Um, Because again, as as much as you can avoid wrestling, you know, under certain circumstances in in almost everything other than ADCC, um, when you compete in jiu-jitsu now in sub only, wrestling has been effectively neutered. It looks to me, honestly, like uh, I would have been borderline impossible to beat in sub only. Um, You know, a lot of not impossible, but just on this side of it. And it changed the nature of, of everything. And I'm really glad that I had the losses that I did and had the frustrations that I did because it forces me, forced me to learn all sorts of things that I might not have otherwise had to learn if, if the opponents that I couldn't make play my game at the time were forced to engage me on my terms. And, um, you know, so for better or for worse, you know, it would who knows whether that, that might have changed speaking personally and that's all I can really do. But uh, I, I see that no people don't wrestle anymore. People don't have uh, as strong of a base. And again, this is painting with broad strokes. They're obviously fantastic grapplers and a lot of the sub only kind of culture has brought in many, many positive things, but positional control and, and wrestling are just going to fall by the wayside. And, and the reality is that at a low level submission, dangerous is always, always, always more valuable than positional control. Because if you're a blue belt, a purple belt, I don't, care how good of a positional grappler you are you're not that good and uh it's just you, you haven't the experience but i wonder if we would have gotten the marcella garcia's if we would have gotten the hodger gracie's if uh the rule set would have encouraged different type of behavior and maybe we would maybe we wouldn't but uh i guess what i'm interested to see is if people continue to develop the guard in a way that is useful and valid in mma but does not rely on the the rule set and the approach that people will have under the rule set of a sub only context. So this is what baffles me. You mentioned like guard in pure jiu-jitsu has exploded. Spider guard, I mean, is just one of the many things. Now that's with the gi, but okay, like there's a there's, yeah. a there's a universe of spider guard attacks that you could just employ if you really wanted to, and that's just one of many kinds. Um, in mm-hmm. MMA, where mm-hmm. is the guard in MMA? Like, for example, uh-huh. Ben, uh, uh, what was it? Um, Anthony Pettis submitted Benson Henderson from the guard, and I'm thinking to myself, "Wow, you submitted a black belt from guard with an armbar? That is super yep. rare." Like, I don't feel like the guard in MMA has gone anywhere. Um, I, I think, in, in many ways, you're right. Um, you know, and I, I think that it's it's interesting because, on the one hand, let's say we take a bunch of guys that are that are elite level wrestlers, fantastic athletes, brilliant skill set. Um, but very specific type of grappling. You have these guys fight MMA. Certain things are going to work very, very well for them because of their mentality and because of their tactics and because of their technique. And certain things are going to be borderline, you know, a death sentence for them. Like, hey, go to the bottom. Why would we go into the bottom be poor? One, because they're dealing with someone of a really, really high caliber on top. And two, they, they lack a significant amount of experience on the bottom themselves, only compounding the problem. And uh, I, I think that's kind of a lot of what's happened. What, what we see a lot of times in MMA, at least in my opinion, is let's say, for instance, someone kicks if if you grapple let's say any anybody at a high level or and then you get to kick them in the head or the body four or five times really really hard right before grappling them i think you're going to have a significantly different experience win lose or draw um in that engagement and i I think that one of the things that uh some only and and kind of the the general uh, general 
direction things are going, uh, we we kind of overlook is the obsession with submissions, similar to being the obsession with knockouts or power. You always hear the way that, you know, frankly, the UFC markets itself is so-and-so has unbelievable knockout power. I'm like, dude, we have four-ounce gloves on. Everybody can hurt everybody. You know, some people have a disturbing amount of power, like Anthony Johnson will, will put you six feet under with his right hand. But for the most part, everybody has the capacity to hurt everyone. But that's actually a very low bar to clear. That's like saying, oh, man, if so-and-so gets you in an arm lock, you're toast. It's like, yeah, blue belts, that if you, if you all put me in an arm lock and you really believe in it and you know how to do it, wouldn't be in a lot of trouble. Uh, hopefully, I'll be tough to put in that arm lock. But it, it goes the same way. If I punch Floyd Mayweather in the face, I know I can knock him out. We're the same size. He's not magic. Now, I guarantee you, if he didn't want me to hit him in the face, I would never come within spitting distance. But it's not that he has this, it's this mythical fan speak, you know, like this chin thing that no matter what people do to you, you don't fall over. Or no matter what someone does to Marcelo Garcia, he gets out. I think if we look through throughout the course of most of his matches, you know, Roger Gracie's matches, uh, Floyd Mayweather's fights, we can see the couple of times, a handful of times, even against elite opposition, that they were placed in true, like, existential danger. And that kind of speaks to a specific approach that maybe we could or couldn't have. But uh, I guess uh, circling back, I I think a lot of the guard stuff to this point has been opportunistic because people are coming into MMA – with a little bit less traditional jiu-jitsu experience, which is fine because they're going to get diminishing returns on that investment in most cases. Um, so they're not going to be as effective and as diverse from the bottom as, let's say, for instance, a Damian Maya would be, whose wrestling is excellent, but is made even more effective by the fact that if he gets in trouble, he'll just slide right down to half guard and then come back on up in a way that maybe someone of a, a higher caliber of wrestling but a, a different type of grappler would, would lack that opportunity and that, and that tactical possibility. So I guess I know that was a little bit all over the place, but I, I think that there's a lot of room for growth and we're just beginning to scratch the surface and uh, I'm interested to see what, what comes next. I wonder what you think about the idea that someone like Habib Nurmagomedov might be in a little bit of the future. And by that I mean, again, not everyone can be him. I, I, I don't think that. But here's a guy who, he can pass a little bit of guard. Um, he yep. can play a little bit of guard himself. Not tremendously, but certainly enough to get the job done. But what he's really yep. excellent at is uh, intense pressure, takedowns from every conceivable type. I mean, from throws to trips to double legs. And he's got a thousand different kinds of rides. Is that the future of MMA grappling? I think that's certainly a future of MMA grappling. You know, um, I, I think Khabib is an absolute savage. He's unbelievable to watch. It reminds me of watching Ben Askren. Um, if you watch them both, they are all over you like a cheap freaking suit. And they understand, they have such a deep understanding of throws and takedowns and body positioning that they're not trying to force like a blast double. Like if, if you go on Sherdog and you listen to like, who are the prospects coming out in whatever it's like, oh my God, that guy's so fast twitch and explosive and he's got a power double. He's going to be a great MMA fighter, says someone that doesn't know shit about MMA. And that doesn't mean that the guy's not going to be a great MMA fighter, but you know, you got to look at guys like Khabib, um, guys like Askren, guys like DC, Daniel Cormier. You know, obviously they're, you know, they're, they're great athletes, but in addition to that, they're, they're brilliantly skillful and they have a deep understanding of their sport and they know how to take you down 4,000 different ways and they know how to stick with you. And, and I think that's just a different level of, of, you know, of grappling competitor. And I think where we can get those guys involved, um, you know, whether they come from the jiu-jitsu world, whether they come from the wrestling world, they're able to, you know, seamlessly transition between the feet to the ground, to the top, to the bottom. Of course, they're going to have their strengths and their weaknesses like every art and like every competitor will. But but they are a more or less complete profile of grappler. I think that's when you're looking at something pretty special. And, and I think that I do believe that you're right, that, that that will be the future. And and obviously everyone can't do it, but 
then again, maybe everyone can. It's just a matter of, you know, maybe maybe we will adjust our training methods and our idea of what's possible because we look at just the way that people strike now and, uh, you know, how, how far it's come in, in such a short period of time. And I, I believe that a lot of that has to do with having seen brilliant examples of, you know, Wonder Boy, guys like that getting involved. Look how great Cerrone is now. Imagine Sanchai got into MMA. He would do things, whether he was ended up being the greatest MMA fighter or not, he would do things that would blow people's mind and would, would expand our understanding of what's possible, which would make us reach further and reach for more. And I, I believe that that's just going to continue happening with each individual art. See, this is what uh, I think... I- I think this is what bothers me. Bothers me, or at least concerns me a little bit. Like what I'm seeing a lot of is, I'm not saying this premise is entirely true. What I'm telling you is, again, broad strokes. There are obvious examples where this is not true. But we had this big idea that uh, five years ago, that in five to ten years, we're going to see these guys come out who are going to their base is going to be MMA and they're going to be good at everything. I'm not saying that's not true, but what I think is true is that a lot of those guys are homogenized in a way to make them bland and not necessarily all that good. In other words, imagine if you took someone who had a lot of heart, good amount of athleticism, and you said, okay, you got to have this starter kit for MMA, yep. this amount of footwork, this amount of jab, this amount of wrestling, and so on, and we get them to that level, and I'm not sure they're getting too far past that. Am I, am I, am I being alarmist? I don't disagree with you one bit, actually. And, and of course, individuals, you know, will be successful or a little less successful for, for a variety of reasons. But uh, I, I think that one of, one of the mistakes that we have to avoid making, you know, and, and I only have a limited amount of experience as a coach, but when I remember this as an athlete, I feel that I, I do much better and I'm in a better place mentally and tactically and all that other stuff is when we, no one can outsmart the way that the world is. And uh, to think that I'm going to come up with oh, these are my special moves and these are the ideas. All I need to do is teach a person X, Y, and Z and they're going to be an absolute killer in anything. Like they need 600 hours of the following. You know, like we think about learning a language. Like I'm learning a language right now and it's like, oh, with X many hours of practice, you'll be fluent. It's like we all know that not that's not quite realistic and that doesn't mean that you won't have, you know, a decent level of ability. But to think that I can go out there, learn a formula and then and then just start handling business no matter what is a little bit, uh, well, it's, it's overly optimistic maybe. And um <clears throat> I think that one of the things that we undervalue sometimes is just the amount of uh, of experience that's gained from competing in an individual sport at a high level. Because let's say you look at amateur MMA. Like for the most part, amateur MMA fighters are not very good. Um, it's not a knock. I mean, in the most part, I mean, I wasn't any good at MMA and I'm only learning now. But I guess uh, you're going to face much stiffer competition in amateur boxing. Um, you're going to face much stiffer competition in it doesn't mean that it's more man, amateur MMA is much more of a real fight than all of these other things. But at the same time, what's the more developed thing? You're going to face different competition in tennis. You're going to face different competition in tennis than you'll face in amateur boxing probably. But the idea is just developing the mental, the mental attributes and the, uh, the ability to compete and to get your mind in the right place and all of these other things that allow for success down the line. And then also realizing that, you have to be a little bit different. Everyone's going to kind of find themselves like that's why, in my opinion, wrestling is so great. Everyone says, oh, wrestlers are the best MMA fighters. I think that's bullshit. I think that the people that compete in a well-developed sport since they were four years old end up being very, 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 very good, you know, baseline learners at almost anything. And then you take that guy and you compare him to someone that started doing boxing or jujitsu at age 22. And, and that second guy is significantly behind the eight ball. doesn't mean wrestling is not an incredible skill set, but uh, I, I think that there's never going to be any true formula 
other than getting out there and getting experience and finding yourself going through that discovery process um, in, in whatever context is available to you. Because one of the guys that I train with right now is a guy named Tom Lee and then his brother, his brother Vin. And uh, Tom was someone I met on the show on Ultimate Fighter. And Tom is an absolutely unbelievable striker, an incredible striker. Um, but he came up in a taekwondo background and just competing in taekwondo tournaments. And when I saw him out competing on the show, we immediately became friends because I watched how he was competing. He was as cool as ice doing his thing. He had the feel of an experienced martial artist, even though he only had four fights just like me. And uh, I guess what I find to be interesting is that that, in my opinion, at least, is, is the path, the common quality that I've noted between most of the people that have been, that I find that are really, really successful. Look at Stephen Thompson. You know, he came up in karate and kickboxing, but I guarantee you he faced tough competition along that circuit. And then he was able to learn MMA a little bit more quickly than most. Chris Weidman, you know, fantastic fighter again came up in wrestling, came up with other things. I think that maybe amateur MMA will one day be a, a great path to learn that, but until it's more developed, I think they're always going to be a little bit wanting um, in certain regards when compared to the single sport athletes. When we look at wrestling in MMA, I wonder what you think of that. My, my sense of things is that on the one hand, the overall level, like the floor on wrestling, I'd say is probably a little bit higher than it used to be in some ways. Uh, mm-hmm. Although there's always been you know Olympic-level wrestlers, in, well, always, but for a while there's been Olympic-level wrestlers in MMA. But I guess what I mean is you know, your average guy who comes in, probably a little bit better than they used to be. But um, Yep. As the, the, you can just tell, man, the guys who rely on the wall – they just, I'm not saying using the wall is bad. I just mean someone like Chris Weidman, for example, he uses the wall, but he's got plenty of takedowns right in the middle of the cage. Same with Daniel Cormier. He oh, absolutely. Use, he might use the wall. He might just lift you off your feet right in the middle of the cage. And I feel like the guys who can diversify that are the better ones. And I wonder, am I putting too much pressure on guys who aren't Daniel Cormier to be able to do that? Or are we not, or is there, a, again, a homogenization of what we teach people for takedowns in MMA? I, well, really, and again, obviously, full disclosure, you know, to anyone that might be listening, I'm, of course, I'm not not a world class level takedown guy, but I I need to be able to get the fight to the ground on a world class level, and and that's the real question, and that kind of circles back to my my issue, one of my many issues with sub only, and I have other issues with the IBJJF former rules. Um, people will, generally speaking, compete. You know, generally speaking, of course, will train and prepare to be able to win under a certain rule set. Um, I lost. I beat certain people in jiu-jitsu that I was nowhere near as good as, and I lost, you know, not, I never got beat up by them, but I lost and was edged out by people that I would murder if, if we had a sub-only match or an MMA fight, either at that time or now. And um, you look at, like, a DC, you look at, like, an Ashton, you look at a Khabib, you know, a Chris Weidman. I, I've trained with Chris as well a little bit. And, uh, man, you're, you're talking about people that have made a, te- a commitment to learning the technical side of their sport and not just being successful in the matches. And that is one of the downsides, I think, of, uh, you know, of the single sports is, and, the, and any sport, really, is that we, it becomes more about winning than about learning. And, of course, the goal is to get out there and you fight to win. But at the end of the day, what really matters, in my opinion at least, is are you becoming an effective martial artist, not just playing by the rules? Because speaking personally, I remember there was a time when I would either win by submission or lose by points, and that's not the greatest situation in the world for me. Um, I, I'm glad that I'm glad that I lost those times. And but if I'd have been competing at sub only even back then, certainly as a blue belt and purple belt, I don't know if, if there was realistically anyone that would have had that I would have bet on to beat me. But there were plenty of people that could beat me, um, you know, when they, when the rules were not, not designed specifically to hide my flaws. And, uh, I guess, uh, it got to a point though, where I was still competing against people that were, 
um, that it, maybe if I stayed in a very specific game plan, I could have a little bit of a better shot against. Um, but win, lose, or draw, I was going to go out and try to perform specific things that I've in my opinion at the time, at least, were, were going to be valuable for MMA. So I think that we look at a DC, we look at a Weidman, we look at Khabib, we look at Ben Askren, they have this diversified skill set. Some people, like if you took Rafael Mendez and put him in MMA, I think he'd be a killer. If you put Cobrini and put him in MMA, I think he'd be a killer. Right out the gate? No, of course not. Like we look at certain people and they, they got him way over their head way too early. Look at, I mean, Jacare got out there and got knocked up on Makako very early in his career. And obviously Jacare is a significantly better martial artist than, than Makako was even at that time. But he lacked the experience, and, and thank goodness he stayed in it. And then now we, we know him to be the incredible fighter that he is now. But, but how many people, you know, I remember there was a guy, uh, uh, man, this is killing me, Kareem Garber. He was an, uh, an Olympic uh, Greco gold medalist, I think, from Egypt. Absolute savage. They put him in, I think, against Fujita in his first, first MMA fight. He got knocked out, never fought again. Uh, you know, if this guy had had the opportunity to learn slowly, I think he would have been incredible because they've, they've developed this full skill set. But, uh, Sometimes when we take the individual sports, we, we take people that are very, very successful, but are very, very successful because of the rules of that sport, like the rules hide their flaws. And if you don't need the referee to protect yourself from me and we're grappling, you're probably a pretty good grappler. And I remember for the longest time, the knock on me was that I needed the referee to protect me from other people and they were right. And when I realized that people saying that were right, I went out of my way to go and try to learn other things. But there are plenty of guys, let's say spider guard, worm guard stuff that has literally zero relevance to MMA. That doesn't mean that it's not neat, but that person should at least admit to him or herself what it is that they're practicing and what it is that's allowing them to be successful um, and whether or not that's going to have a martial context to it or not. Uh, I wonder if there's anything else you see going away. And here's what I mean by that. I don't mean going away and like we're lamenting its absence. Maybe there's some stuff that's going away that needs to go away, like an MMA. Do you see anything naturally getting weeded out that probably is a good thing to see off? Yeah, no, I, I guess it, it's tough. I hesitate to comment because, you know, I'm such a, you know, a relative beginner in, in MMA. And, uh, you know, I, there are so many things that that I thought were invalid that I, I believe now to be valid and certain things that I was sure that were um, valid that are now a little bit, a little bit less. So, um, you know, I think, you know, obviously it depends so much depends on the rule set. You know, I was watching recently, I was watching Cron Gracie fight in, uh, I guess in risen, uh, in, in Japan. And it's really neat to watch him. He's a phenomenal grappler, top bottom, you know, just all, all positions, you know, brilliant jujitsu. And, uh, but the fact that he has a 10 minute round to work with, um, a 10 minute opening round significantly impacts the, uh, the flow of the fight. And so I, I think, I, I guess I can speak, you know, in the context of, of very specifically to UFC or unified rules, like five minute rounds, three times, maybe five times, uh, you know, I think certain positions like close guard are generally speaking, going to, going to be a little bit tough, but, uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of the maybe traditional understanding of what striking is. And this is speculative on part of, you know, obviously uh, more experienced grappler than striker, but I think the biggest changes that we're going to see are going to be in the operating assumptions of, of what MMA really is. You know, where does, where does the guard fit in and what types of guard and what types of situation, rather than saying the guard is a valid tool, say the guard is a valid tool under X, Y, and Z circumstance, you know, earmuffs defense that you see in boxing um, is obviously really, 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 really ballsy slash foolish for MMA. Yet, because people spar with big gloves and try to take each other's head off a lot, 
um, you'll still see people trying to use it. It doesn't mean it's completely ineffective, but maybe a karate style of movement with a little bit more distance and a little bit more kind of deception is a little bit, uh, is a little bit more useful under many circumstances. So I guess I'm, I don't know. Um, and I wish I could give you a more concrete answer, Luke, but, uh, I, I just believe that many of our operating assumptions are going to continue to be changed and we're going to start seeing much more evolved training methods that are going to allow us to make these determinations more quickly and more effectively. Okay. So let me push you on this last one and I appreciate your time. And this, I'll just do, I'll end here. You kind of hinted at it. Like you came from jujitsu into MMA. Some of the things you thought were wrong were right. Some of the things you thought were right were wrong. So maybe I'll look at it this way. What is one thing? It doesn't have to be anything super grandiose. I don't, I don't need a unified string theory of martial arts, but maybe just one insight you had. (laughs) Right, where it's just something you thought was wrong is now right, and something maybe that corresponds with this idea of like, what is something you think we should add? Right, what is something that, like, ooh, this is good, we need to do more of this that maybe isn't quite as prevalent as it needs to be? Um, in, in my opinion, um, the way that people wrestle on the fence is going to change significantly. And I, and I also believe that the way that people approach the guard is going to change significantly. I feel very fortunate to have come along in jiu-jitsu at the time that I did because it was um, getting to be and getting to be around the people that I did because there was, you know, I, I got to watch Damian Meyer, guys like that, BJ Penn, you know, Hodge Grace, like my heroes were, were these guys that I was watching coming up. Um, you know, I watched them and got the benefit of, of watching them push forward the art and then also, you know, struggle and then succeed brilliantly in MMA. Like, we, we realized how incredible Damian Maya is. And he was successful, obviously, right when he got to the UFC. But then he struggled a little bit, but it was that struggle that pushed him forward to the absolutely razor-sharp, phenomenal, you know, mixed martial artist that he is now. And, uh, you know, I, I believe that one of the things that's going to change significantly is going to be the usage of the guard and how it happens as well as what the expectations are from there. Because the way that most people try to do it now is in my opinion, very foolish and, uh, you know, designed for failure. And then of course it fails and then it becomes a little bit self-fulfilling at that point. And then people say, ah, see, it doesn't work when I would say it doesn't work when you do it like that. And I, I also believe that the way that people wrestle on the fence is going to change significantly. And, uh, I will, uh, you see if, see if I can, you know, have a little bit of a hand in that, um, if possible. But um, I think people are going to continue to become more indirect. If we look at Wonder Boy, he's striking in a way that you're not taking a ton of damage. You're not trying to shoehorn other strategies from other sports into this new activity. You're you're simply taking the the lessons that you've learned there and saying how does it apply to this new area, rather than saying let me tell you how to wrestle. It's like no, that's how to wrestle in a wrestling match. How do we wrestle in a cage? And uh, I think that that's only going to continue. And the guard is going to be a significant part of that as people with the proper skill set get in there. All right, Ryan. Best of luck to you uh, in December against, um, let's see, Gray Maynard, if I'm not mistaken. So, looking forward to yes, that. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Luke. Thank you. We appreciate your time, man.